Paul says in Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed in his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, being conformed to him in his death, that I too may attain the resurrection. And that's what this day is all about. That we might firstly know the power of his resurrection that's already at work within us. And ultimately that we might attain to the resurrection ourselves. For there is a day coming when he will return. And you and I will be changed and transformed and be like him. Not just in his death, but in his resurrection. Tuck that away a moment because we'll come back to that a little bit later. But let's turn first of all to... Luke, and chapter 23. This morning, for those of us who were there on the Westwood at 6.30, we've already heard this passage read to us by Hannah this morning. But we're going to read it again for the benefit of those who weren't. Starting at chapter 23, verse 55. Now the women who had come with him out of Galilee followed... And saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and perfumes. And on the Sabbath day they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week at early dawn they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they entered they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and and to all the rest. Now there were there Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James. And also the other women with, with them were telling these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to them as nonsense and they would not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen wrappings only and he went home away to his home, marveling at what had happened. Each of the Gospels records these events slightly differently, with a slightly different perspective, concerning what actually happened on Easter Sunday morning, nearly 2,000 years ago. They're not contradictory accounts, they're complementary. And each evangelist reports his own remembrance, or the remembrance of the witnesses he's spoken to, concerning that amazing morning. This was no ordinary morning. This was one of those where in years to come people would say, do you remember exactly where you were, what you were doing and where you were when you heard the news that Jesus had risen from the dead? People talk about remembering what they were doing when they heard Kennedy had died or when they heard Princess Diana had died. Well, this was far, far more important. Do you remember what you were doing the, 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 the day you heard That Jesus had risen from the dead. Do you remember what you were doing at that moment? Where you were? And it would be vividly etched into their memories. 
And Luke tells us that at the tomb, they were there, the women who had come out of Galilee with him. And find out more details about them, you have to turn back to Luke and chapter 8 and verse 3. These are the same women who had ministered to Jesus' needs during his life and still wanted to minister to him during his death. They'd been with him throughout his ministry and would not be stopped ministering to him, even in death. Those specifically mentioned in verse 10 were firstly Mary Magdalene, out of whom Jesus had cast seven demons. She's the one who is mentioned in all four Gospels. She is an important witness to the resurrection. And she was known throughout the early church as being the first one to have seen the risen Lord. She was the one. Then there was Joanna, the wife of Herod's steward. Who would have been the equivalent of the wife of a highly paid civil servant. And Luke tells us in Luke 8.3 that all of these were women who had been healed from evil spirits and sicknesses. And in this way they'd all met the Lord and he had met their needs. And their response was to serve him and to minister to him and his physical needs. Because he had met them in their need. They met him in his need. For any one of us who have met the Lord... And he has met our needs. Our response should be to seek to serve him. They served him out of their substance. We too can serve him out of our substance, out of our time, out of our money. And that's an appropriate response to what he has done for each one of us. These are all things we can give back in response to God for the great salvation he's given to us. We're also told that Mary, the mother of James, was with them. Well, of course, the James referred to is Jesus' brother, Jesus' physical brother. This isn't just any old Mary. This is Mary, the mother who bore Jesus, who brought him up, who had him sit on her knee, who stood before the cross and watched her son die before her in the most agonizing death. And she was not turned away. She was still there wanting to ensure that he had a fit and proper burial, this son whom she had born, this son whom she had loved. And there they were, these women who had been ministering to him, and they came to the tomb. And what did they find? The tomb empty. They'd come to make a proper job of the burial. They knew that men couldn't have done that properly. And they'd come early in the morning to make sure it was all done right. And there was the tomb, empty. They didn't hang around. They came early to the tomb. They came at the first opportunity after the Passover had been completed. Such was their love for Jesus. And arriving at the tomb, they found things not as they expected. They expected to find a big stone, some guards, and hopefully the guards would help them and and roll the stone away. Instead, there were no guards. There was no stone in the way. It had been rolled aside. There was just an empty tomb. And they stepped inside. Nothing. Some grave clothes here. A shroud there. There. 
What was worse, the body of Jesus was missing. And rightly, Luke says, they were perplexed. The word perplexed here means at a loss or doubting their own eyes. In other words, they saw before them the fact that the body was missing. All their hopes were dashed. All that they wanted to achieve on that Easter Sunday morning couldn't suddenly be done because the body was gone and they didn't know where it was gone. It was missing. They couldn't work out why or how or who had done this. So God sent a couple of angels to help them, as he does. To help them understand what was going on, to remind them that this was no less than the fulfillment of what Jesus himself had said would happen. And yet even despite this, despite encountering angels at this moment, there's no confirmation in the text that they actually believed the angels. And from John's Gospel, we know that Mary Magdalene, after running back with the others to the disciples, came back to this garden again, still trying to work out what was going on. She returned to the tomb, and she hung around, and she was weeping, and she was perplexed. And she only believed what the angels had said after Jesus himself appeared to her in the garden. And there, as he was speaking to her, and she thought he was the gardener, he he spoke that word. That one word, Mary. The name that she'd heard so many times before, Mary. And just in that moment, she recognized him. And she worshipped him. And she realized that he was risen. And as I said earlier, her witness is important. She was the first eyewitness of this resurrection. She was the first one to see the risen Lord. And she's mentioned by name in all four Gospels. And then she runs back again to the disciples and she said, I've seen him. He's risen. And they say, really? You're deceiving yourself, Mary. They'd seen Jesus raise people from the dead. They'd even seen him raise Lazarus, the the guy they knew a few weeks before. But on those occasions, they'd witnessed the whole process. They'd seen Jesus come and command the resurrection to happen. And in this case, the only evidence they had was an empty tomb, a couple of angels. Although that should have been enough to convince them. (laughs) Clearly, they were still in shock from having seen Jesus go to the cross. The one whom they had loved had been killed before them in the most brutal manner. To believe that triumph could come out of such overwhelming disaster was too much for them. And yet Jesus himself had told them on many occasions that this would happen, and indeed must happen. They would not believe the witness of these women. In these times, the witness of a woman was deemed only to be half as reliable as the witness of a man. Weren't they sexist? However, of course, when Peter saw the risen Lord, they said, oh, okay, Peter's seen him, we'll believe it now. And finally, at the end of Luke's gospel, Jesus leaves them in no doubt. He appears amongst them in a locked room. 
and proves that he's not just a ghost, or not a ghost, but he shows them his wounds, and he eats some fish. And we know from 1 Corinthians 15, 6, that Jesus also appeared to many others, and to more than 500 at one time. So we know that this report was not just the witness of a few, but the remembrance of many. And the evidence of the resurrection is in the fact that when these book, this book was written and the other Gospels were written, many of those who had witnessed that fact were still alive and could testify to it. And therefore we can be assured that the events that are witnessed too were real. They happened. We're not talking about myth or legend or hallucination. We're talking about fact that Jesus who had died on a cross in the most brutal manner, had risen from the dead. And nobody could argue with that, because people had seen him. And their testimony is recorded for us now. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 15. In this passage, Paul tells us three things about the resurrection. It tells us a lot more, actually, but I've just picked out three. Firstly, he says, in verse 14, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain, and your faith is also vain. If the resurrection didn't happen, then I'm just standing up here, giving a load of false words that are meaningless and a waste of your time coming this morning. My preaching is in vain. It's a waste of time. But I like to think I'm not wasting my time this morning. Because I'm preaching truth. And I'm preaching fact. And that's that Jesus, who died, triumphed over death. Defeated Satan. Won the victory dealt with the problem of our guilt, dealt with the problem of our sin, and brought freedom. And I stand here this morning, not just as a witness of what's written here, but as a witness of all that that has happened in my life. I am free from the power of guilt, I'm free from the power of sin, and I'm free from the power of Satan. He has nothing in me. He may be the accuser of the brethren. He may want to accuse me before the throne. But he has nothing in me because Jesus has dealt with it. So my preaching isn't in vain this morning. Verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. If Jesus hasn't been raised, it's not just me who's preaching in vain. It's you as well. Waste of your time being here. But guess what? It's true. And you're not still in your sins. You've been set free from sin. And the power of the cross and the power of the resurrection has defeated the power of sin in your life too. And you too have a testimony this morning of the wonder of what Jesus has done. See, if there's no resurrection, the cross is a heroic failure. 
Sin has not been dealt with and we are hopeless. But because of the resurrection, it's not a heroic failure, it's a triumph. Sin and guilt have been dealt with. And then verse 19. If we have hoped in Christ in this life, only we are all of all men most to be pitied. Or as it says in the King James, we are of all men most miserable. I'm not miserable this morning. I'm rejoicing. If my faith is a waste of time, then I might as well just go out and live how I want and forget all this. But because of the testimony of what's happened and what's been given, and because of the testimony of what God's done in my life, and because of the testimony of what he's done in your life, this morning I rejoice. I rejoice in my Savior. I rejoice in the resurrection. I rejoice in the power of the cross. And I rejoice in the hope that that brings. Let's drop down to verse 50. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus. Christ the last thing that the resurrection brings is hope and hope isn't a vague wish hope is an assurance because what it brings is the guarantee that because Jesus was raised from the dead you too will be raised from the dead that's guaranteed and that's what Paul is saying there that the promise of the resurrection the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead as the first fruits from the resurrection guarantees that you too, though you may pass through death, will be raised to life. And you will receive that eternal body, that immortal body, that body that will be transformed. You will receive a body that won't ache in the back every morning when you wake up. You will receive a body that isn't falling apart and decaying and being destroyed. By life. <laughs> the older you get, the more real that becomes. <laughs> but that's our hope. It's not just a vague hope, it's a guarantee that when Jesus returns in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, that transformation will take place because he has triumphed over death once and for all through the resurrection. And if that doesn't put a smile on your face this morning, I've got nothing better for you. <laughs> he is risen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I think I want to sing that song again. Death, where is it? That's thing, the resurrection. Let's sing that again, Hannah. Thank you. Father, thank you for the resurrection and thank you for the power 
of the resurrection. And may we all attain to that through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.